Hello and welcome to the Point of Care podcast. Today's topic is on hyponatremia in the inpatient setting. First, as an introduction, some definitions. You need to first differentiate between acute versus chronic hyponatremia, and chronic hyponatremia is defined as greater than 48 hours. There's also mild, moderate, and severe, with mild being 130 to 134, moderate being 120 to 129, and severe being less than 120. You should also distinguish between symptomatic versus asymptomatic hyponatremia. Hyponatremia is a relative excess of water compared to sodium in the extracellular space. It's more commonly caused by excess water than depleted sodium. And hyponatremia is seen in up to 30% of hospitalized patients. So for a checklist, when you know you're going to be admitting someone with hyponatremia, you need to do your ABCs. If it's severe, meaning a hyponatremia less than 120, or they're having symptoms, you should page renal and consider an ICU admission due to the need for close monitoring and frequent lab draws. You can look in their chart for their baseline sodium and any medications that they use, as well as whether or not they use alcohol. For your HPI intake, think about their diet, alcohol use, meds that they use, other comorbidities that are known, such as CHF, cirrhosis, end-stage renal disease, or cancer. Things that you can't miss are asking about their alcohol use, whether they've had seizures before and their seizure risk, and you don't want to rapidly overcorrect. For the admission orders, in general, you can do serum osms, urine osms, urine sodium, order strict INO, and get a BNP if there's evidence of congestive heart failure, and also consider whether you want to give fluids or diuretics. For initial treatment to consider, if it's severe and they're having symptoms, you can do immediate hypertonic or 3% saline, 100 milliliter bolus over 10 minutes to get the sodium up about four to six points, but you don't want to go much faster than that, which we'll talk about in a bit. Again, taking this all into account, you want to be thinking about their history, again, meds, diet, alcohol use, a history of CHF cirrhosis, CKD cancer, or other endocrine disorders, whether or not they've ever had seizures, nausea, vomiting, or weakness recently. On exam, be looking for altered mental status, objective weakness, and their volume assessment. The data that you'll be collecting includes their serum sodium, serum osms, urine osms, urine sodium, and we'll get into what those all represent. For etiology and differential diagnosis, you should be thinking about hypovolemia, a decreased effective circulating volume or third spacing, syndrome of inappropriate ADH secretion, end-stage renal disease, primary polydipsia, and low solute. For a framework, you can first start by saying, is this hypotonic hyponatremia, which means serum osms of less than 300. That can be caused by isotonic pseudohyponatremia, which is usually caused by hyperproteinemia, such as myeloma or lipidemia. If you're hypertonic, you might actually have hyperglycemia, and that's something you'll need to correct for. But it can also be due to mannitol, sorbitol, or IVIG. That's not very common, though. Usually it's going to be hypotonic hyponatremia. Then, once you've confirmed that it's not something spurious, you have to ask yourself, is ADH present? And a way that you can look for that is to see if the urine osms are greater than 100, with a range usually between 500 and 1200. ADH is absent. That can represent primary psychogenic polydipsia, someone who ran a marathon and then drank free water, someone on a tea and toast diet, or someone who has beer potomania. And we'll discuss each of those in a little bit. The next question you need to ask yourself is, is RAS on? And that's defined by a urine sodium less than 30, and that suggests that RAS is indeed on. If RAS is on, that's often due to hypovolemia or decreased effective circulating volume. And if RAS is off, that suggests salt wasting from SIADH, diuretic use, end-stage renal disease, adrenal insufficiency, or severe hypothyroidism. In general, when someone is admitted with hyponatremia, it's often going to be incidental and due to hypovolemia or decreased effective circulating volume from chronic, from congestive heart failure. For a plan, again, the workup includes serum osms, 
urine osms, and urine sodium, and that's so that you can determine whether it's hypotension hyponatremia, whether ADH is present, and whether RAS is on. If it's an unclear etiology or they don't fall nicely into one of those buckets, you can also send a TSH, a lipid screen, an SPEP UPEP, serum cortisol, ACTH, a urine drug screen, and a BNP. And you should be treading your BNP as frequently as you think is necessary based on the severity of their hyponatremia. In terms of the treatment, you have a correction goal that's about at the rate of four to six per 24 hours. Usually you don't wanna go greater than eight, but four to six is a good thing to start with so that you don't overcorrect. When you're thinking about what kind of volume you should be giving, you should be thinking about either giving fluids or actually taking fluids out via diuretics. If someone comes in with severe hyponatremia with symptoms, again, you give 3% sodium chloride, 100 milliliter bolus over 10 minutes. And this is to raise your sodium anywhere from one to three points. And you can give this up to three times to get the sodium up four to six points. If it's severe without symptoms, you can give a hypertonic saline drip until the sodium is over 125. Otherwise, you can just do volume repletion by exam or diurese. If ADH is absent, you can restrict fluids, you can slowly introduce solute, and this is a high risk of overcorrection, so you need to be very careful. If ADH is on and RAS is active, then you should be repleting if you're hypovolemic, diuresing if you have congestive heart failure or nephrotic syndrome. If ADH is on but RAS is off, that's likely SIADH, so you can re fluid restrict to 0.8 liters a day, give salt tabs up to 1 gram TID, and consider Lasix and Vaptans. Some pearls for hyponatremia. The hypothalamus responds to tonicity, not volume. So if you're hypertonic, it'll make you thirsty or release ADH, which reabsorbs free water in the collecting ducts of our renal system. Tonicity implies that there is a membrane. Anything that's an effective osmol can't go through the membrane on its own. Things like sodium, potassium, and glucose are all effective osmols. Things like the BUN, ethanol, lactate are ineffective osmols. They move between membranes and thus don't actually impact the tonicity in our cells. Sodium drives almost all of the tonicity since it's the most important osmotically active particle in the extracellular space. Remember the equation for serum osmolality is two times the sodium plus BUN divided by 2.8 plus glucose divided by 18. Note that BUN contributes to serum osm, but it is not an effective osmol. Tonicity is what impacts the fluid shifts and thus the cell size. So fluid going into or out of our cells, which leads to swelling or shrinking of the cells, is what leads to clinical manifestations of hyponatremia. And that is mostly seen when it affects the cells in our central nervous system. In general, a short-term goal for severe hyponatremia is to get your sodium over 125. And in most cases, raising it about four to six points will help alleviate some of the life-threatening symptoms when you give hypertonic saline, which is why we do it in the immediate setting. You should never bolus free water. If you do so by accident, give hypertonic fluid to even it out. Osmotic demyelination syndrome, or ODS, is the feared complication of overcorrection greater than eight within 24 hours or greater than 18 in 48 hours, as it can lead to locked-in syndrome. There's a low risk overall if your starting sodium is above 120. Risks of having ODS include a sodium less than 105, someone who has chronic malnutrition and uses alcohol. And if you've overcorrected, again, give D5W. Potassium and sodium are freely exchanged. So if you replete potassium, you're essentially giving sodium. Make sure you're careful not to overcorrect in severe chronic cases. In terms of your etiology, when you start by saying, is this hypotonic hyponatremia? This is based on your serum osms being less than 300. 
One of the things is isotonic pseudohyponatremia, and that's caused by hyperproteinemia. This is often from myeloma or lipidemia. If you have hypertonic hyponatremia, this can be caused by hyperglycemia. And note that this is not actually hyponatremia. It's a lab issue and you need to correct, and we'll link off to the formula you can use to do so. The next question you're asking yourself is ADH present. And again, this is if your urine osms are greater than 100. If ADH is absent, the kidney is not able to dilute any further. There's too much water or not enough solute. In the case of primary psychogenic polydipsia, you're just drinking too much water, and it's usually some sort of psychiatric etiology. When we think about marathon runners, it's a mix of both. You're drinking too much free water in the setting of having very low solute after running a marathon. In someone who has a tea and toast diet, that's due to low solute, and beer potomonia is also due to low solute. A shortcut to calculate the urine osms is to take the last two digits of your serum gravity on your urinalysis and multiply it by 30, and again, that will approximate your urine osms in a setting where you're not able to send off urine. The tea and toast diet is weird and unintuitive case where hyponatremia is not driven by ADH. You have a minimum amount of solute that you need to eliminate free water into your urine, since the minimal urine osms your kidney can dilute to is 50. If you don't take in enough solute in your diet, your kidneys can't physiologically put more urine out, and it stays in your system, leading to hyponatremia. End-stage renal disease limits the ability of the kidneys to maximally dilute and concentrate urine, and thus can affect our interpretation of urine osms. When we're thinking about whether or not ADH is appropriate, it should be in response to high osms or sense decreased effective circulating volume. In other words, we're asking, is RAS on or off? If the urine sodium is less than 30, it suggests that RAS is on, and that you should be aware that these measures are less reliable if a patient is on diuretics, and you should be utilizing urea in that case, so you should send a urine urea. If RAS is on, again, urine sodium less than 30, it's due to hypovolemia or third spacing or decreased effective circulating volume. If RAS is off, urine sodium is greater than 30, this is due to salt wasting because of SIADH, diuretic use, and stage renal disease or adrenal insufficiency. The most common causes of SIADH are infections like pneumonia, malignancies, most commonly thought to be ectopic ADH from small cell lung cancer, meds, commonly SSRIs and AEDs, and primary brain injuries or lesions like brain tumors. Again, note that the diuretics increase your urine sodium, and so in such cases, you should be thinking about using urea less than 55% to suggest that RAS is on. Note that all these buckets we've discussed are, of course, fluid, and patients don't always fit nicely into one or the other, and it can make the interpretation of the etiology of hyponatremia often difficult in the inpatient setting. Some trials and literature that we can link off to the first is a review of disorders of plasma sodium that was published in the New England Journal in 2015 and is a good overall review. The next is a study that compares the utility and limitations of the different frameworks for approaching hyponatremia. The one above that we've discussed is a little bit more objective because other ones previously used volume status in the framework, and since that's a very difficult thing sometimes to do in the inpatient setting, it often led to a lot of challenges with actually determining the etiology of hyponatremia. Other resources include the Core IM Five Pearls on Hyponatremia, which has some of the best graphics and explanations of hyponatremia that I've seen to date. The Clinical Problem Solvers, of course, always has a good diagnostic schemia for hyponatremia, and you can go to MDCalc to look for the hyperglycemia correction as well as the appropriate rates for sodium correction. If you remember absolutely nothing else, remember the following points. 
Hyponatremia is a common, often incidental finding in the inpatient setting. It is often clinically insignificant and will correct on its own with treatment of the patient's underlying disease process, which usually includes either giving fluid or diuretics, but in severe circumstances will lead to symptoms and require renal involvement and hypertonic fluid administration to rapidly raise the sodium to get it out of the severe symptomatic range. Hyponatremia represents an excess of water compared to sodium, and thus determining the etiology comes down to whether your body is holding on to water appropriately or not. The most common causes are by far hypovolemia, decreased effective circulating volume, or third spacing, from CHF or cirrhosis, and end-stage renal disease. In general, if your serum osm is less than 300, then it's true hyponatremia. If your urine osm is greater than 100, then ADH is present, and if urine sodium is less than 30, then RAS is active. Osmotic demyelination syndrome, or ODS, is the feared complication of overcorrection, since it can lead to locked-in syndrome. However, there's a low risk overall if your starting sodium is above 120. But be on the alert and get renal involved if you're worried if they're at high risk. And if you overcorrect, give D5W. That's all for this episode. Check out pointofcaremedicine.com to see the templates we discussed, as well as the pearls, literature, and links to other resources.